Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses What your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen. Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't want to be your merch girl. I want to be your goddamn idol. And I don't want to have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I... And welcome back, prom party. Hello. We hope you're doing well. We hope that you have heat and water and resources because there's a whole lot of you out there that fucking don't because our government is a sham and we just want you to know that our our hearts and wallets are with you as much as we can and we're so sorry to all of you who are having to endure this horrible ridiculous winter storm that no one was prepared for no i mean why would you be prepared for it i guess i don't know maybe people could listen to scientists but you know (laughs) you'd think but alas one would think but we are in america after all so now that we've gotten a bunch of like really fun chipper stuff uh, <laughs> right out there in the open, uh, we also want to remind you all that uh, we we have a Patreon. You can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. You can also help support the show by giving us a five-star review or, you know, just a, a lovely comment or so um, through Apple Podcasts or Google or wherever it is you get your podcast. It really does help the show out and helps offset uh, the people who give us low ratings because they're turfy assholes yeah there's been a (laughs) there's been a lot of those lately (laughs) it's uh it's been a thing but if it's your first time listening to us i'm one of the co-hosts my name is bj colangelo and over to my right is my lovely wife i i guess for formality it's very fun that we do these introductions like for the episode even though we have an intro who that introduces us I know. I th- it like makes it feel a little bit more personal. It's not it's like homey. Yeah, it's it's homey. It's like warm soup. And as- <laughs> yes, I'm Harmony Colangelo. <laughs> <laughs> and as you've been hearing, this is just the most delightful giggle on the other end. We have a guest with us this week. We have a just an incredible artist performer. Honestly, just an experience, <laughs> if uh, if you're going to ask me. But uh, we have Bryce Evan Lewis with us today. Hi, Bryce. Hi, guys. Or actually, really, gals, y'all. There you go. Gender neutral, y'all. That's cool. <laughs> I also uh, favor the y'all. I like the y'all. And then even though I'm not from Pennsylvania, I really do like yins. I do, too. <sighs> it's so good. It's satisfying. <laughs> 
It is. I'm going to bring Yins to the to the West Coast. Yeah, we should. See, but then what's going to happen is we're going to be like, what are Yins doing? And then someone's going to be like, oh, are you also from Pennsylvania? We're like, no, we're just co-opting your cultural experience. I Hey, I worked for some people who are from Pittsburgh. So, That's like, true. I know shit about, like, what a Yinzer salad is and stuff. Yeah, French fries. Yeah. You put fries on your salad because why not? <laughs> so it's it's cool. I'm just I'm more expecting a my cousin Vinny version of like what's a hins. <laughs> so we're really really happy to have Bryce with us here today. And Bryce, what movie did you bring to the table? I brought Take the Lead. I couldn't help myself. I it, I felt that I owed it to the uh, movies that people forget about <laughs> fan club. <laughs> to nominate this one and bring it to the table. <laughs> I couldn't have forgotten this movie because I did not know this was a movie before this. <laughs> the best part about this, too, is I I gave Harmony little to, to no information about okay. what this movie was about. <laughs> so when we watched it, just hearing the delightful reaction of Antonio Banderas, and I was like, oh yeah, I didn't tell you that he's the lead in this movie. Yeah, and he is a tour oh, de force at all times. That's the best times. way to introduce yourself to this movie, because when I saw it, and sorry to like kind of just jump the gun, when I saw it for the first time, I'm pretty sure it was like HBO randomly in the middle of the day. I was like, oh, a dancing movie. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> so for those out there who have never seen Take the Lead, normally we'll go to our friend at Fandango, our friend Dango, and read a synopsis. But whenever we have guests, I think it's more fun to have them sort of explain it. So Bryce, if you had to explain what Take the Lead is about, how would you describe it? Take the Lead is a delightful romp through New York City inner schools where, based on a true story, they learn to dance and along the way they find themselves. <laughs> that, that is the kindest synopsis <laughs> and makes I literally it sound just like this movie like i finished it maybe 15 minutes ago so it's very fresh <laughs> that's such a pleasant little like a romp is a what certainly the way that you would describe your synopsis of it because this is probably the most bona fide drama that we've actually oh God, covered on yeah. this show mm-hmm. when i rewatched I... it for the first time to like be like, oh, which one do I want to say? I cried a little bit because <laughs> it was just too much. I was like, oh, God, it's so I forgot how real this part is. And oh, uh. There's That's definitely <laughs> some moments in this that I think because I don't think I've seen this movie probably since it came out. So I would have been, you know, 16 or so. <laughs> and upon the rewatch, I remember a lot of, you know, iconic moments. And I'm like, oh, I remember this. This is fun. And then there are the moments that are not fun. And it's like, oh, my brain definitely mm-hmm. protected me and purged all of that information. It was like, no, 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 we're not going to remember this part of this movie. <laughs> yeah, I know we'll get into it. But there's some teacher scenes that were just very triggering to me. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And- <laughs> I I love that we're all kind of coming to this movie from a lot of different lived experiences as well, uh, which I think is part of this story. Um, So I'm definitely going to get on my, uh, you know, former inner city social emotional education uh, teacher soapbox at some point. So I guess like. (laughs) be warned listeners it's it's back-to-back soapbox weeks for me i guess Um, yeah well and it was hard for me honestly because i if i can say this and you know harmony will do her magic if this is not allowed but the other movies that i wanted to bring to the table were very it was probably a whirlwind for bj reading my list because it was like (laughs) cheetah girls take the lead (laughs) 
John Tucker must die. <laughs> <laughs> well, the really funny thing is that you sent us that list and whatever episode we had done right before you sent us that list, I was like, we're not covering the Cheetah Girls for a long <laughs> no, time. I listened to it like the other day and I, I laughed so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were we were close to a, to a Cheetah Girls episode and a John Tucker Must Die episode, but I'm really... I'm really glad that you went with Take the Lead. So if, you know, if I may ask, what is it about this movie that you were like, you know what, this is the one that I want to talk about? It was just so real. It's just so real. And I was rewatching the movie commentary because I've actually never, I have this movie on DVD. So that actually was my first reason was like, I probably should do the movie that I own on DVD because I really like it, probably. so i was watching the movie commentary and it was really wonderful hearing the director who is a woman which i did not know um Hmm. and talking about just how real how hard she worked to make the movie real and she truly was so successful in creating a movie that i it felt real to me every time i watched it every single time even now as a jaded adults like wow these teens are really playing teens like this oh yeah feels this feels right this feels like they had involvement in the script process. This feels like the director and the people involved just kind of watched some kids one day and plopped them on a set and then filmed a movie around it. it. It feels so real. So I hope it captures the story and does justice to the kids. And I know Pierre Dulane, which now I'm just like dropping names to just the people who don't know what's going on. He was involved <laughs> in the movie too, which was really exciting to hear. So I, so, I think he enjoyed the process. So usually we start the show by focusing on like our main characters. And this is actually the first one where our main character is not a teen girl. And I kind of love that. No, High School Musical. Oh, that's true. We did talk about Troy. True, true. Fair, fair. I understand. (laughs) Um, But this is, you know, this is definitely Antonio Banderas's film. And I think the casting of Antonio Banderas as Pierre uh, Delane is really interesting because Pierre Delane is not a sexy uh no. <laughs> latino man like that is not oh, who he no. is <laughs> he makes I, I, a cameo I need to look in up. the movie what does, uh, what does this man look like let's oh let's he's see a cameo here. at the very end he's one of the judges so if you look out on the judges table imagine just white guy like truly like old white guy in a tux and that's mm-hmm. that's pretty much oh boy he sure is ever <laughs> i'm googling <laughs> yeah. him right now he is yeah he is just an old white guy that that yeah <laughs> yeah, that's so I and I think that that really does add an additional layer to this movie, because when this movie started, admittedly, Harmony looked over to me and went, is this going to be some Freedom Rider shit? It does I did not like say it. shit. I that was I was not nearly as indignant as you're making me see. Granted, <laughs> I so absolutely talk like that in most circumstances. <laughs> but I was like, oh, is this going to be something like a white savior thing with freedom writers? And you go, no. And I go, okay, cool, because it's hard to be a white saver when uh, you're Antonio Banderas. <laughs> That's so funny. It did, it did give me like freedom writer PTSD flashbacks. I totally saw that movie in theaters with my mother. Against oh, my yeah? Mother. Yeah. Oh, against yeah. your will? <laughs> My mom and I uh, bond over movies. That's truly the thing that has gotten our relationship on track, which like, yay movies and yay horror movies specifically. But I do not enjoy watching movies with my mother because she's one who likes to talk. Oh. <laughs> yes. I saw, she asked I saw a lot Freedom of questions. <laughs> that would have been uh, answered I... if she didn't speak during the movie. <laughs> 
that's such a mom thing too. To be like, what's happening? I, I, this is my. First I've never time seen too. it before. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I saw Freedom Riders uh, on a school field trip because I went to school in a, you know, a, a not great area outside Chicago. And I don't know if they just thought, like, we're going to relate to the kids, but we just, like, dunked on it the whole time. We were like, mm, okay. See, I saw Freedom Riders in school because uh, one year, I think it might have been, like, eighth grade possibly. I couldn't tell you offhand. We read a book in school that was like, hey, it's a collection of poems from, like, inner city black kids. And then they just slid it in there. By, like, by the way, most of these kids have been shot. And it was like, Jesus. cool, love that. Uh, just real <laughs> subtle bomb to drop on us. Um, but yeah, we watched Freedom Riders and everyone was like, oh my God, this is so powerful. And I haven't revisited it since. And I was like, BJ, you how does Freedom to. Riders hold up? And she just goes, don't. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, I, I saw it like one more time in high school and it was really kind of painful. <laughs> Even then, we before we were self-aware of like, that's probably not how you should write stories about black people and especially black teens. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no, I don't have the words to describe why this feels wrong, but I know it does. Yes. <laughs> you know it when you see it. Yeah. <laughs> this is so, definitely not Freedom Riders. <laughs> no, it, it's not. And I think, a, I think a huge part of it is because of the character of Pierre. So let's, let's talk about Pierre a little bit. The, the character, not the, the actual human being. So Antonio <laughs> Banderas. So Bryce, uh, how do you feel about Pierre and I guess Precious his baby. His... I want him to adopt me as not my dad because I love my dad, but like as an uncle or like young grandpa to like take me on adventures and do stuff. <laughs> He's so darling. And I felt like, oh my God, BJ, if you ever get an opportunity to listen to the commentary, I really think you'll enjoy it because it was uh, the director and the lead editor, so it truly was from the film-minded perspective and not necessarily from the actor's perspective. And they talk so much about how they use the film and the way they frame shots to make things seem like they are from Pierre's perspective. So he absolutely Mm -hmm. was meant to be the main character. But he does a great job as a character of sharing and being like, but no, you're the character too. Like, hey, you be the main character for a little bit, even though this is absolutely my movie. Like, it doesn't feel like it's his movie, even though it is. Mm-hmm. I love him uh-huh. so much. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Harmony? How do you feel about Pierre? He is so... Okay, so Antonio Banderas and everything, like, that man is can do no wrong in mm-hmm. terms of, like, the total package that he is. But, like, him in this movie, he is so calm and patient and, like, has this sage wisdom about love and dance that I could not properly describe. <laughs> he is magnificent. Like, I, I he, he really is just so captivating, and you just want to listen to whatever gospel he is, he is like, telling. <laughs> oh, yeah. He could sell me, like, I don't know, what is that saying? Ice in the Arctic or something? I totally would buy that from Pierre, the character. Could like, sell you a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves? Yes, I heard that expression the other day, <laughs> and I laughed for about five minutes. Because <laughs> your music sucks. It's corny. There ain't no feeling in it. No feeling? Mm-mm. How can you say that? Lena Horne, Joe Williams, yeah. Nat King Cole. These songs are all about love. Well, maybe you love different than we do. Look at you. You all flowers and things. Talking woman all sweet. Saying shit trying to make her feel nice. Oh, we ain't got no time for that. We want to get right down to the ill nana. 
Love is universal, my friend. We just may look for it different ways, here in different songs. Yeah, Pierre is one of, like, right off the bat, he's already giving me a good impression because, you know, he, he witnesses Rock, you know, busting up the teacher's car, and rather than be a narc, he's like, <laughs> okay, clearly there's some anger here. There's something going on more than just, like, this random, you know, act of vandalism, and I want to I wanna help. I want to be there to to help that. And that is so important, I think, for teens. We're in this weird place in our education system where punitive behavior has been sort of, you know, that that's how so many of us grew up, was in punitive environments, in punitive classrooms. And that shit doesn't work. Like, mm -hmm. it's been proven to not work. And it's really, I guess, it's really heart, like heartwarming that his first instinct is, no, 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 let's get to the root of this. Like, let, let me help rather than, well, let me go rat this kid out because I saw something. Yeah, and it's so cute because his, well, not even cute, poignant, I guess, is really the word I mean, cute, um, is that the first time he interacts with, um, now I'm thinking, that Rock, I think, is the character's name. The very uh -huh. first scene that we see Rock, it's everyone antagonizing him. And the first interaction he has with Pierre, even though he doesn't recognize it as such, is Pierre treating him like he's just a guy. Like, not yeah. like he's someone who did something wrong. Just like, hey, is everything okay? Kind of a situation. Uh -huh. And I think that that's, that's so important because a lot of times we want to judge people, especially youth, and in particularly black youth, uh, we culturally look at people by like the worst day that they've had and we determine how we feel about them based on like that worst day they've had rather than the whole person the whole child and Pierre is like yeah no you're a human and there's there's some stuff that's got to be motivating a lot of your actions and I, I see you mm -hmm. and that's really interesting and something that I don't think exists in a lot of other movies that are doing this sort of thing Oh, absolutely not. Like, he abs he treats the kids a lot like they're kids. He treats them like they're people in training. Yeah. Like it's it's, it's yeah. truly beautiful. I, that's, like, one of my favorite things is, like, I growing up, not growing up, but in the job that I had when I was in Ohio, like, one of the biggest things that the director hounded on us was that kids aren't just, like, people. They're little people. They're not lesser. They're just smaller. Mm -hmm. They're still a person mm -hmm. just like you're a person, and they deserve the same respect regardless of their age. And just seeing that on screen was very heartwarming. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that I was able to grasp how like prominent that importance is stressed in this movie when I was in high school, but as an adult and especially you know one who mm -hmm. eventually became an educator, seeing that I was like, oh, look at look at this social emotional learning on this screen. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is amazing. And truly, it was so funny watching it this time with the having the vocabulary to talk about what was actually happening. Like, oh my goodness, this is such a great opportunity to talk about this and look at how he handled this situation. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I watched See, this movie in high school during a dance class and it totally just went over my head. Like none of this stuff, mm -hmm. it didn't mean anything to me. Any of the times I watched it, before becoming uh -huh. an adult. <laughs> See, for me, like, I have absolutely no, uh, I I'm totally out of my depth and in over my head when it comes to, like, education and teens and children because that's just not my world mm -hmm. at all. 
but I, I, I'm wondering, is it easier to relate to Pierre now, like as adults, because we have the language for it? Or is it just like now that you are like closer to his age, it's easier to relate to the person who's closer to you in that aspect of where you stand, I guess, age wise? That's a good question. I think, yes, both. (laughs) Uh, For me, it's both. It's one that I have the vocabulary now. And honestly, like I've done the therapy and therapizing work of understanding what I deserve as a person. So I like truly can like be like, oh, these teens also deserve it because I know I'm a person and I deserve these things. But also Mm -hmm. I'm now the adult in this kind of situation where the last time I watched this movie, I was absolutely the teen in the situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's, I'm I'm glad that you brought up the whole point of like knowing what you deserve because yeah the teens deserve that too and so many of the the characters that we see they are victim of circumstance and they also can't escape it because they're teens like we're at least adults now so that if something is a problem you know we can quit our jobs you know to some extent like obviously Mm -hmm. like capitalism that's a whole other situation. But for the most part, like we have at least a little bit more of an ability to leave a situation when teens really don't have that option. Uh-huh. And a lot of the the characters in here, they definitely don't have the options. Like they have obligations that are bigger than, than, than what a teenager should have to deal with. Um, so like, I wanna talk about Lorette a little bit and mm-hmm. like, Cause I, first off, like Yaya Dacosta can do no wrong in my eyes. Oh my god, yes! Oh, of of America's next top model fame, Yaya Dacosta. <laughs> like, just uh, she is incredible. She really was like, you know what? I took third on this reality show, and now I'm gonna I'm gonna become an actress, and I'm gonna make something. And she really has. Like, she's she's incredible. But her arc is the one that I think is. Like that's the one that hits to the to the core and the heart of of this movie, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So how do we uh, how do we feel about her? Oh man, when I was a teenager, I did not like Lorette. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Talk <laughs> I can about totally it. Talk speak about, about it. why. Uh, because so to talk about who Lorette is, she is not quite your stereotypical, but almost your stereotypical like angry black girl. And so mm-hmm. very surface level, I did not like her when I was a teenager because I was working really, really hard to never have anyone think of me as an angry black girl. So any kind of representation like that on TV automatically kind of turned me off. But now as a mature adult who has you know thoughts and feelings that they can actually speak about, Lorette's character is truly like mature and wise beyond her years and the things that she deals with is so real and the way that Yaya uh-huh. uh, the Costa the actress handles it is truly amazing and so yeah or so Lorette's situation is that um she's in a low-income family her mother is uh I believe a prostitute essentially or something mm-hmm. of that na- nature a sex worker and she is taking care of her younger brother while still in high school I think that all the kids are probably 16 or 17 like not even seniors uh-huh. yet so they don't even have mm-hmm. the college escape and also meanwhile her brother's dead <laughs> Because of gang violence or whatever the movie says it is. I'm pretty sure it's a gang-related thing. Mm -hmm. So, like, any, yeah, especially me in high school and I went to private school and that kind of stuff. Like, I very much tried to distance myself from any sort of, like, ghetto 
or angry or anything like that, like strong, but not too strong or not that kind of strong. Like you're not supposed to be physically or aggressively strong. You're supposed to be stoically strong and she's uh -huh. not stoically strong. She's very much aggressive, which now as an adult, I'm like, frick yeah. Can I swear on this show? I can't remember. <laughs> of course you can. Okay, fuck yeah, Loretta. <laughs> <laughs> You go, you badass, I love you. But as a teenager, it's like, no, don't be so angry. You have to shh, keep it down a little bit more. So I'm actually really <laughs> curious to if if you're if you're okay with it, you can always tell me to fuck off into the sun. <laughs> but um, as far as the guests that we've had on, we've we've had people of color on before, but we've not had we've not had a black guest. So we've not had somebody to talk to about you know, the high school experience and the intersection of, of blackness. So I'm really interested in how you were bringing yeah. up like the not that type or, you know, distancing yourself from, you know, the quote unquote, like ghetto stereotypes. So if, if you're comfortable to speak on that, I'm I would love to hear about it. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, this co touches back on like why I picked this movie was because it actually featured black teenagers that felt real so and especially mm -hmm. black girls because black girls are not the focus of fiction ever unless it's dystopian and then maybe they're a sidekick or it's a sci-fi and then they're a best friend they're not featured yeah. in fiction in any kind of a real way typically and it was honestly kind of hard at first when you asked me to like come up with a movie it was like oh god i watched i went to a private school i didn't have an older sibling to make me watch bet like i've never seen baby boy i watched juice because i just happened to catch it on like hbo or something like that like mm -hmm. i saw atl as an adult like that kind of stuff no one forced me to watch the quintessential black movies growing up and i was into theater <laughs> so i just watched a bunch of musicals all the time and like i liked cartoons and Studio Ghibli movies like I totally did not have any sort of black teen movie relationship and there aren't really black teen movies because and this is my conspiracy theory uh, black movies exist in a vacuum that is very strange in which black teenagers don't exist. So you get movies about black kids like um, recently A Wrinkle in Time had a black little girl or the Annie mm -hmm. remake or something like that. <clears throat> or you get black college movies like Drumline. You do not get black high school movies. You do not get black high school movies where there is a dance. And technically there is a dance in this one. <laughs> yeah, there <laughs> Although is. Although not a prom. <laughs> no, not a prom, but we do get a ballroom, you know, competition. And that's good enough for me because they are doing some sick choreo in, in that scene. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's it was just like so interesting. I There's not a lot of black teen movies that I can think of off the top of my head. And there's especially not ones where there involves a dance. Like I think I posted this on Facebook once. I think after listening to your show thinking like, what, can anyone tell me a black teen movie where the focus is a dance? Does that exist? Mm -hmm. That's not a parody. That's not anything like that. And because the only place where black teen movies kind of exist is in the parody world in Wayne's Brothers type stuff. So there potentially yeah. could be uh, like black, another teen movie, not another teen movie or something of that nature. But otherwise, black teens don't really exist. I don't know yeah. why. I mean, I do know why. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and that's something we've definitely talked about on the show as sort of like a generality thing where we'll analyze a film and go, there's no black people in this film mm -hmm. because the teen genre as a whole is, is white as shit. Like it is so like painfully white in some instances. And 
as far as like the the black teens don't exist thing, that makes me think about how culturally and this is something that you know we even have to like we we took like professional developments on with teachers and like I had to painfully explain to a lot of my co-teachers who are you know of a different generation that we tend to age up black youth like you see it whenever there's any sort of like awful tragedy with a shooting or whatever like one of the first things they'll say is like oh well he was he's a giant or like he's huge or he's whatever there was a there was an incident and I guess you know for listeners and and for anybody who's sensitive to this sort of thing like a trigger warning with you know police being fucking police um there was an incident at the school where I taught where one of my junior high boys had an altercation with a parent and like this is a like parent like full ass grown parent who tried to fight like one of my 12 year old students and my student at the time um i think he was 511 like he he's a, he was a taller kid but he's still 12 years old and you know the cops came to you know handle the situation and as i, I was leaving the building there were two cops outside just kind of gossiping with each other and one of them was like well yeah but did you see that kid like that's a fair fight and I whipped around and I was like, I'm sorry, a 12 year old fighting a grown ass adult is a fair fight. Like, what the fuck's wrong with you? And, you know, kind of went off, definitely had to do, you know, use my white lady powers for good and do some reporting of, you know, who these cops were it's being like, don't ever let them come here again. Don't ever let them handle a call because I have witnessed firsthand that they are biased and they don't take they're not going to take this shit seriously. And for whatever reason, culturally, though, like there's that weird implicit bias that exists in the minds of so many so many white people especially that they look at black teens and they see adults they don't see teens and i think that that exists you know all the all the way across into into filmmaking where people are like they can't picture that teen experience they just think of adults in adult situations and they don't want to have adult situations in a high school movie so then they they put it in college and they set it in college because now we can talk about sex because we're not talking about underage kids now we can talk about drugs because they're not underage now we can talk about violence because they're not underage Uh when you know those situations happen with people in in junior high high school you know across the board you know regardless of of race but we don't ever want to talk about those things as as a culture, especially not in our entertainment. Yeah, we um we we spent a lot of time talking about this sort of I guess very I guess skimming on this topic when we had our uh, episode on Bring It On, and one of the things that you brought up that surprised me but shouldn't have surprised me was the people that like you went to school with who were mad that um the Toros did not win at the end of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I think so much of it comes down to uh, white people won't watch a movie that doesn't prominently feature white people. Yeah, well, they, sorry to say like they, but like they think that like... They, oh, they, that's fine. Say they. Like, that's correct. <laughs> it's going to be about, I don't know, like only slavery or something. Like only black people are only allowed to have movies where someone either is killed by the police. Like there's only violence. There's never, I cannot uh-huh. think of a teen movie that features teen black teens prominently, except for kind of one. Uh, dope is a good one, but again, I love not dope, a teen but girl. Then, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Dope was, <laughs> oh, right oh Dope's the point. one. You showed me Dope, didn't you? Yeah, I showed you Dope. Oh, that movie's so much fun. Yeah, so fun. Really oh, good. What a fun romp. They go and do stuff. They're having fun. It feels like a teen movie. The girl's not the focus. Teen girls do not yeah. get 
Mm-hmm. And like that's why I was um, watching an interview with uh, Toni Morrison, and she talked about why so much of her books featured black girls is because they got ignored for so long that she specifically wanted them to know that they have a place as a main character in the story, which is so powerful because like I really have to think hard to think of black girl teen movies that have nothing to do with violence. The only one I can think mm-hmm. of off the top of my head is Akila and the Bee. <laughs> And that's the other thing, too, is, like, there's definitely some that, you know, there's so many incredible, um, like, black film film critics. Like, Valerie Complex is one that I is, like, my go-to whenever I'm, I'm looking for something. And I know Valerie has definitely talked about, like, coming-of-age films for, for black girls. And they exist. But the other thing, though, is accessibility, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times these stories exist in, like, indie films or smaller releases. Mm-hmm. They don't get, like, the huge, you know, Mean Girls treatment. And that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then even still, like, something, like, as good as, like, Eve's Bayou. I love that movie. That oh, whole movie God, I love is centered Eve's around Bayou. male violence, though. Like, her whole experience mm-hmm. is around the misdeeds of her dad, not her just having fun and discovering magic in her own ancestral power because it's because Mm -hmm. she has to because she has to protect herself it's not just fun it's not like a practical magic or anything like that right i also love (laughs) (laughs) and then like in in thinking to kind of get us back on track and thinking also like a film like take the lead this movie's coming out around the same time as things like step up and center stage and i feel like those films have a much larger you know, uh, cultural longevity. <laughs> yeah. And this one kind of gets, you know, forgotten about. And it's it's hard not to view it with, like, it's racism. Like, it because that's... I don't understand any other explanation. I mean, the dancing's just as good. The story, in my opinion, is probably better. Uh-huh. Like, what, we didn't get Channing Tatum, therefore it doesn't exist? Like, that's fucked. <laughs> Yeah, like truly. And um, the director, fun fact, filmed, this was her first feature film and previously she did music videos. So like I credit that to why this movie is so successfully done with using dance to further the story is that it's someone Uh who is used to filming people having to dance and act at the same time, essentially, in a music video. Yeah. Very successful. No, that makes makes a lot of sense because the, the dance sequences... They really are incredible. Like um, the one that's making me that like is coming into my head pretty quickly is uh, the one with Morgan, who is credited oh, yeah. as rude. She's credited as rude dancer, even though like <laughs> they give her a name in this uh-huh. movie. But IMDb and the credits say rude dancer. Yeah, rude dancer. <laughs> she even comes full circle and isn't rude by the end of the movie. But now nah, we're just going off of her first impression because <laughs> <Yeah>. fuck her. <laughs> But that uh, that dance routine that she has with, you know, Antonio Banderas at the school is riveting. It is like so stunning to watch. And it does like that. It looks like it's shot by somebody who knows music videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the editor, too, they work together. So she brought on someone who was familiar with working in music videos. And like half the dance scenes, they said that was just done to click tracks. And then they added in music later. And they choreographed it knowing that it was going to be click tracks and that they'd have to fill in music here and there or that they might not be able to get the rights. I think they said that ultimately they're trying to get music that was as popular as possible, as close to the release. 
So they were updating songs as they were going, which is pretty cool. Oh, and Swiss really cool. Beats worked on the music. So they had like an actual like person scoring for them, like a real hip hop person scoring for them. Well, some of those remixes like are so fun and like really, really impressive for how they mix like the classical ballroom kind of jazz romance style with like modern hip hop. Yeah, I love that. There's a scene where they're it's like they've come together moment where they're like, oh, and if we mix the songs, we really do have something in common. But it is uh-huh. so true that at the core of it, it, everything's about love and romance and how do you get your girl or your guy or mm-hmm. whatever? And how do you make them feel loved? And how do you, what happens when the feelings are so powerful that all you have is song? Like that's what it's all truly mm-hmm. about. Yeah, and that's actually something I really, really love about uh, this movie is it has this really distinct uh, lesson that it's trying to teach to the characters as well as the viewer about uh, like respect and consent and love all the way back at like the very beginning where we first meet Pierre and he's opening the door for people and he's having a conversation with the kid in the office with him and he's like, yeah, you've got no game. Like you're not getting phone numbers. He's like, but I'm getting smiles and that's all I'm going for. I'm not trying to get a phone number. And like just even starting with that to then going like, cool, now let's learn about consent, what's good touch, what women want, what guys should, you know, not be doing. And there's this, this I guess, lack, lack of a better term, there's this dance of the themes that is going on with that throughout the entire film. You see, if she allows me to lead, she's trusting me. But more than that, she's trusting herself. Now, if your 16-year-old daughter is strong and secure and trusts herself, how likely is she to let some idiot knock her up? And if your son can learn to touch a girl with respect, how will he treat women throughout his life? This is what I do here at this school. I teach dance. And with it, a set of rules that will teach your kids about respect, teamwork, and dignity. And that will help to give them a vision of the future they could have. A vision of the future they could have. Oh, yes, that parent little um, PTA meeting conference that he has where he's like winning over the uh, professors and Alfie Woodard's dancing with him. And it, you can see in her face that like this is her dream come true as Alfie Woodard, the actress, <laughs> not even Augustine, oh, the principal yeah. character. <laughs> and oh, my God, the cutest thing, apparently, that if uh, probably you haven't seen this movie as obsessively as I have. But anyway. At the end of that scene where she's dancing with him and she kind of spins off after he lets her go, that wasn't scripted. It was something she just did having fun and she didn't think it would be in the shot because she thought it was set up as a tight shot. So she thought she'd be out of that scene by the time she was spinning off. But the director loved Aww. it so much that she kept it in, which is like half the movie was things the actors were just being adorable and authentic and the director decided to keep it in. Even stuff like she said that half the lines that the teen said were, weren't really correct, but it's impossible to write teen slang, so they just went with it. That that makes a lot of sense. I like that they gave the actors the freedom to sort of, you know, explore what is what is real and what is authentic to these characters. And yeah, I'm glad that they let them 
speak fluidly because yeah that's something we talked about a little bit on our bring it on episode is the the original writing that they had for isis is just so cringy <laughs> because it's like oh have you heard a teenager talk before i don't think oh, you've heard yeah. teenagers talk uh-huh. yeah, it, they definitely let the kids be a part of the writing process and i think they said that um since there was so much dancing they had a rehearsal period before they started filming so all the kids like actually became real friends so a lot of the them just talking was the director being like, all right, go talk about some whatever. <laughs> and I'll just go socialize it. and mingle amongst each other. Yeah, or like, I want you to flirt with this person. Okay, have fun. Like basically was their direction at any given time. <laughs> <laughs> or ignore Antonio Banderas. And they, she said, you'll get a kick out of this, that they were so close. Um, all this movie was filmed in Toronto. So they would go out to the nightclubs and call it dance research together (laughs) (laughs) that's really cute i love that (laughs) i'm thinking about like the the dance of the themes as harmony put it because there's a lot of moving parts going on here i love the discussion of you know the consent and you know appropriate touch and boundaries and things like that but i love the idea of the leader and the follower and like the trust that that takes Uh because i think we have a tendency to be like, uh, you know, oh, it's a bad thing if you're a follower. Oh, it's a bad thing. This is like a weird stretch, but like whenever people are like, oh, it's a bad thing if you're a submissive person or whatever. But there's still so much power in both of those roles. It takes two to tango. Yes, it takes two to tango. (laughs) And I'm glad that this movie is acknowledging that and is like, yeah, no, no, it's, it's okay if you're not, you know, taking the lead, so to speak. Like there's still something good about that mm-hmm. yeah oh, hard Sorry, agree it's so cute <laughs> see for something like that okay so i have not actually seen or heard of this movie before but one that i had heard of and would get play every once in a while that actually came out the same year as take the lead was called the hot mad ballroom and it is a, a documentary done by nickelodeon films that was basically about a similar program being done to this in elementary schools. It's about the same guy. It's the same guy? It's, it's, I've seen this yes. documentary. Mm-hmm. Yes. So th- that documentary is the actual story of um, Pierre and uh, a program called Dancing Classrooms. So Dancing Classrooms is a social emotional learning program uh, for fifth graders specifically where they are taught ballroom dancing and it's a way to to do pretty much you know everything that this movie does take the lead is you know it's it's based on the true story but it's more exciting and more fun to do high schoolers than it is to do fifth graders i think and that's probably i think that's why they (laughs) they chose to to focus on high school but yeah that documentary is is about the program that is still um is still incorporated in schools all across the country um it was a program that my school had and I definitely saw the the real results of of having dancing classrooms where, you know, some of my 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 token bullies, so to speak, uh, would become, you know, very respectful in that class. Um, but then at the same time, I also saw, you know, some of the some of the negative things that can come from those classes until that trust is really built, um, because ultimately, you know, dance is is an art form that requires a lot of trust because you have to you know work with your peers similarly to to music similarly to theater and 
something that would happen pretty frequently with my my fifth graders is something that is reflected in Take the Lead is how my fat students felt and how sometimes it was like, oh, they, you know, no one wants to dance with me. No one wants to touch me. Like when Monster talks about how like he's, you know, didn't you see what just happened? Like, I can't do this. I'm not meant for this. My whole heart just like poops its pants. So I'm like, no, Monster, you can dance and you're great and you're perfect just the way you are. Don't let them be mean to you. Because that's, you know, that was the thing that I would see with my own kids where I was just like, no, they, I will dance with you, little fifth grade boy. I don't care. Like, you're great. Don't let them make you feel bad. I love Monster. He was my dude, kind of, where it's like, oh, yes, I also am a giant and a former fat kid. So, yes. like, I feel for this guy. Want to dance with me? Better not. Didn't you see what just happened? They call me Monster for a reason. I'm just not made to dance. Monster, do you like dancing? Yeah, I guess so. And you're made to dance. Oh, man. And his arc of going to the cotillion with Caitlin of um, Degrassi fame, Lauren Collins. (laughs) Yes. Like, (laughs) that's, I mean, that's who she is. Like, Lauren Collins has been in, like, a ton of stuff. And I'm like, nah, you're you're Degrassi. Like, sorry. That's just you forever. I, and yeah, I, well, it, it makes sense now. Oh. Oops, sorry, it makes sense now that she's in it because now knowing that they filmed in Canada, I always wondered why she was in this movie. I thought I thought it was really random, but now I know that she's not the random one. Everyone else is, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Monsters Arc is great, and then they also I I have mixed feelings about the fact that they one of the characters' names is Big Girl, and that's just legit her name. Oh, um, Big Girl, the Big Girl dynamic. It brings me to my personal favorite soapbox of the only uh, interracial relationship that's acceptable is fat woman and skinny man. (laughs) Yeah, we we talked about that too. Yeah, not another teen movie. Uh, Skinny black man, fat white woman. This is the uh, spinoff version. Yeah. Yeah. And like the thing that frustrated me is we're watching this and like the skinny white kid with the cornrows just basically barges into Pierre's home and starts eating (laughs) his food. And he's like, oh, man, I have a huge dilemma. I like a fat girl and it's embarrassing. And I'm like, oh, dude, shut up. (laughs) I know. It's so funny. Um, In the commentary, they talked about that scene and they said that the studio was so against that scene being in it. And the whole reason they wanted it in was it um was that foreshadowing about Pierre's dead wife like nothing having to do with the kid at all was not why they kept mm-hmm. that seat in <laughs> gotcha <laughs> and in a weird way though i'm i'm almost kind of glad that the scene is there because to act as if that is not a real thing that exists in teen mm-hmm. world it is that's just inaccurate that the amount of true. people that feel attraction towards fat people and feel like there's something wrong with them for having said attraction. Harmony is raising her hand Um, (laughs) is, you know, that that's real. And like, that's a, that's a real experience, but yeah, the, the dynamic that both of the fat, uh, both of the fat black characters end up with the white people is real annoying. Oh, I didn't think about both of them. (laughs) It's both of them. Yeah. Yeah, especially with Big Girl, like, it it would totally be a thing where it's like, well, and she ended up with a white guy, so you know that, like, she, everything's fine now. Like, that kind of a thing. Like, it would be like, oh, right. well, she's worthy because she ended up with the white person, so, like, it's fine that she's fat. Like, that that would yeah, be the reaction. 
<laughs> it's one of those weird, weird things of like, well, of course they ended up together because like she's fat. Therefore, she has to be with the white guy, which exactly. is just yeah. <laughs> it's just some gross shit. Like I, I, that's something that I wish would like these are the stereotypes that I wish would, you know, go away. But also, you know, it was 2006 and that mm-hmm. that would teen movies are time capsules because they're one of the few genres that are really trying to hit with whatever is current, like at that moment. So looking at it, I'm like, no, but you know, that's how we treated people in 2006. This is how we talked. This is how stereotypes existed. If this was my movie, I'd rewrite it so that she ended up with like Dante Basco's character or something. And that whole love triangle thing (laughs) never happened because I hate that. It's the biggest waste of time, in my opinion. I love their dance scene, but oh my God, is it not like... Yeah, the real life the real life triangle <laughs> is so annoying because it's like you're 16, like fucking grow up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. when it comes to the dance, it's like okay, well, like this dance is telling a story, and like this is good. But they didn't have to have a real life love triangle to make yeah. that dance slap as hard as it does. Well, and I especially mean, I, too, like none of them really. See- None of them seem like they really actually like each other, like to date or anything. So, like, what's the big deal, guys? It's cool. Just dance. You're fine. <laughs> some some macho posturing. Like, I love Dante Bosco being a tough guy in this movie. <laughs> I know. He's supposed to be, like, the uh, de facto ringleader, actually, of the group. <laughs> Is he? <laughs> yeah, actually. Like, legitimately, that's he, that's his actual role in the whole thing. Is like, he's kind of the ringleader. <laughs> and okay, then that's sure. why he's so antagonistic to... Um, Pierre when he comes in is because Pierre's taking over and he's the one who was in charge of things originally. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Gotta fight for that alpha status somehow. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, because they are who they are, I don't feel like that reads as well because it's just like, yay, dancing. <laughs> like, it's only upon <laughs> rewatch number seven that I really thought about their relationship in that way. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also just this weird thing where I think Dante Bosco is like forever implanted in so many of our heads with different roles whether it's like avatar or hook or whatever uh-huh. so that when he like shows up and he's like trying to act hard i'm like mm, okay see the, the I thing know. i compared it to was when uh there's a movie called ticks i love ticks. and i was like bj is is dante bosco about to have like an alfonso ribeiro moment from ticks <laughs> where alfonso ribeiro plays like the street tough like he's like kid in ticks the most like stereotypical like street thug character uh, but it's alfonso riviera and everyone's like no <laughs> like, so is... i was like is dante bosco gonna be doing that in this movie because like I'm, I'm i'll sign up for it i'll be confused <laughs> but i'm I'll, i'm here he was overcompensating because he was 10 years older than everyone else in the cast right like he still <laughs> probably looks really similar like he was like 35 years old in this movie i think Oh, yeah. He, he absolutely was 35 in this movie. Because <laughs> I was very he obsessed look with him those, at this time. So... so that was actually part of the reason why I watched this movie, if I'm really thinking about it, is Dante Basco, actually. I love him <laughs> so much. Like, so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is pretty great. Let's be real. Yeah. And I when I liked an actor, especially then, uh, my undiagnosed ADHD would force me to, like, watch every single movie that they ever did. So... In this year that I saw this movie, I also watched But I Am a Cheerleader for the first time, so that was fun. Aww. <laughs> oh, But I'm a Cheerleader is such a great movie, and he's great in that movie, he's too. He's so good in that he's movie. So, he's so charming and cute. So in in thinking about this, um, one, of the, one of the tangents that we haven't really gone into 
but I, I really want to is uh, just the education system and the teachers that are not Pierre in in this movie because we we've talked about the kids a lot, but we really haven't talked about the adults and the adults in this make me want to scream. So, uh, Bryce, if you want to take it away, uh, <laughs> oh, how do you God. feel about some of these teachers? That first opening scene. It's not really the opening scene, but the first scene that we really see Rock's character after, uh, spoiler everyone, you better be watching this movie, his dad, who's an alcoholic, throws up all over his shirt that he's about to put on for the school dance and thusly ruins the ticket that he has. So when he goes to the dance, uh, mean racist teacher who is like national treasure actor like John Lovitz or something, that's not his name. He's an actually very famous actor. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, this uh, character, and it made me laugh that it was like a real famous person. Like, what are you doing being a mean teacher in this movie? Anyway, he like stops him from coming to the dance. Why didn't they have just a check-in list? Like, can't you track who bought tickets? I know this is a school of like 2,000 kids or whatever, because it's inner city New York. But like, is there no master list? Is there no like accounting of who bought tickets? This is extremely yeah, stressful to like- me. <laughs> My school was about the same size, if not bigger. And like, if you bought tickets for prom, then they had the tickets, but then they also, yeah, they had like a giant Excel sheet that had who bought the ticket and who are you bringing as a date? Because so many people were bringing kids from like outside schools that they had to keep track just to make sure people weren't sneaking into proms. So like, they should have a master list. Like my school also had, you know, detectors and shit. Like Excel existed in 2006. (laughs) He's just so immediately right off the bat antagonistic and like, you are you have to be doing something wrong. Why would he waste his mm-hmm. time making a fake ticket? I just have so many questions as to, that really uh, gets my goat about adults sometimes and like how they treat kids is like, why would you think a kid would think the way you do? Weren't you ever a child? Nothing is ever that serious and I never tried to work that hard to do something as a kid. This is what do I know? Uh-huh. <laughs> And also, who's about to be like, I may, like, if you couldn't afford the ticket to the dance, you know, say that's the thing, then why would you be able to afford the ability to counterfeit said ticket? Like, (laughs) that also doesn't make sense. And the logic they're using. So quickly. And then that spiral, it, this was the part that really made me tear up and like get really uncomfortable and cringy. Like I have an issue watching uncomfortable situations. I cannot handle secondhand embarrassment. I do not watch The Office for that reason. Like I cannot handle it. I have to leave the room <laughs> or turn off the TV. Like I, I truly cannot do it. I can't do it. So I was feeling real uncomfortable in this scene and just watching and seeing and knowing the spiral and what this kid's thinking of like, well, if you think I'm so bad that I'm gonna be bad, like all this kind of thing, and then watching uh-huh. him get mm-hmm. rejected from the school dance and immediately run into the the gangster, like the classic like, that situation, like mm-hmm. teacher, everything that you're trying to do, you're pushing his hand into this life that you so are so apparently against, and then hearing the same teacher be like, how could we give funding to these kids who need help when there's kids who actually can make something of themselves, like him having that oh conversation God, with the yeah. principal later on. It's very distressing to me. Like, as someone who is an artsy kid, like, extremely distressing to hear something like that. Like, as someone who, I I worked in the children's theater for quite some time. That was my first real professional job. And I always joke that I hated children and I'm not a person who likes kids very much. But the reason that I thought I was so good at my job is because I didn't like kids. I treated them like they're little adults, basically. 
Not adults with the same thinking, feeling, emotions as me as an adult, but a person who more or less could understand if I spoke to them with respect. <laughs> I do the you same don't... thing with kids where I'm, I'm bad with them, so I just kind of treat them like, hello, I'm going to have a normal adult conversation yeah. with you, seven-year-old. <laughs> I hope you can keep up. <laughs> Like the no, the idea that we that there's kids that are worth more or worth less because of their circumstance when you're an educator should not exist. Like that's agreed so, completely. Yeah. Uh, oh it's, God. <laughs> yeah. No. It's 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 maddening. I mean, I was working in the Cleveland public school systems, and I would like watch these conversations. And the one that really sticks with me in this movie is when Antonio Banderas is mentioning to the principal, like, don't suspend the kid, like, send them to me, let me take care of them, because that is the ticket to it. Like, when you do these punitive punishments and you suspend kids, okay, so you're suspending a kid, now they're, you know, losing a day or three or ten or whatever at school. Do they have adequate resources at home? Um, what are they doing to fill their time? Like, what are you, like, potentially, you know, pushing them into? So when we see it in this movie where it's like, yeah, he got denied and immediately got pushed into, like, the, the gang situation. Like, literally. Is it, like, <laughs> like, is it, one, like, a little bit out of the, uh, the, a stretch to be like, it's just there waiting for you? Like, yeah, <laughs> that's, like, some 2020, like, <laughs> like, dateline panicky bullshit. But there's also some truth to it that, you know, it's been proven that if you have a, a, a child that has a lot of suspensions, all of their their risk factors spike up. And it's because there is there is somewhat of a safety net and structure to to having them in the building. And that's really what it comes down to is just like keep them in the building. And that's what, you know, Antonio Banderas is trying to do. He's like, just send them to me. Like, let me help them. Let's let's dance. Let's do something you know, anything to keep them from, you know, getting swept up by, you know, the the, the ready-made gang just hanging out waiting for you to sign up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's and they had a golf club just with them. Up <laughs> yeah. again, apparently, fun tidbit from the commentary, it was from a scene that ended up getting cut out. I don't remember what the scene was, but they actually were hitting golf balls at like cars and stuff. <laughs> Oh, wow, that's, that's rude. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, speaking speaking of hitting cars with a golf club, though, uh, can we just talk about that, like, he went to town on the principal's car for a while, including cracking the windshield and stuff and, like, breaking the headlights, and then he, like, knocks the mirror off and the alarm goes, oh, now I'm going to go off. <laughs> <laughs> the- that is like such a weird thing because you're right like they <laughs> there's some real rage getting taken out on that car and the car is just like i can take this and then the mirror it's like now you've gone too far now we're sounding the alarm and then it turns itself off i know i thought about that this last time i watched it, i was like does she just like hear it and turns she like having a sixth sense like my car is going off <laughs> i've lived in some cities before like car alarms when they're going off they stay going off they don't just turn themselves off Oh, so oh, so good. They um in the set in the filming of it, they said that they had like a little assembly line of car parts so they can like re put the hood on or redo the windshield and have them just keep going. So that's I think why that scene is actually so long is it's just like a long continuous take of him beating up mm. a car. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of I I like that though. I mean, don't kill the momentum. Just keep going at it until you get what you can get. Get yeah, the right shot. Yeah, and I think. So 
if I remember correctly, they said that was like one of the first times they started to use uh, POV shots too, and like messing with the tempo and slowing things down, using slow motion and jump cutting and that kind of stuff to really mess with how and represent how what he was feeling in that moment. And I think they do that mm-hmm. pretty successfully. Mm-hmm. I think so too, and I also really like I like Rock's arc a lot, and obviously his art kind of goes hand in hand with with Lorette's because you know they've got they've got history together and there's there's something interesting about take the lead because this isn't a movie that's like and we taught the kids ballroom dancing and now everything is perfect for them like that's not (laughs) what it's doing and I think that that's really important to be like, yeah, no, their circumstances still kind of fucking suck. They at least now just have a nice outlet to deal with these shitty circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately that's kind of what SEL is. It's like, hey, I can't make things better for you in a lot of ways, but I can help you deal with them. And to see Rock go from like crushing cars uh, with just like pure, you know, unbridled rage into being able to center himself enough to do a waltz, I think is really, really interesting. And then Harmony noticed something too. The music also tells a story in in this movie. Yes. So something I noticed is that towards the front, like, I don't know, third front half of this movie, uh, the music is very in your face and very intense. I feel like the deliberate choice they were going for was like, hey, um, what's a bunch of stuff that sounds like DMX? Let's just front load the movie with a bunch of like <laughs> shouting and growling and intense music. <laughs> and then you ha- that really makes the juxtaposition of like the classical music even more jarring. But it starts to become more rhythmic and uh, more of a melody and this melding of styles towards the back half. And it really just helps like create this flow of tone without really even thinking about it. Because obviously like the dancing and the choreography is the central piece, but the music is also important to dance to. And it it does a lot for telling its own story within this film. Yeah, and I think that really helps add to the realness of it because the soundtrack feels like something the kids would have picked out mostly themselves. And like their mm-hmm. parents was like, and oh, I'll put on some songs that I would like too. Like that's what the soundtrack sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I, I think that it's it's really smart that it's the music and the dance almost serve as their own character mm-hmm. in in this movie, and I I, I really like that. Which this was the just to, to tangent this a little bit to put just sort of but I, I we're working on kind of like a dimmer switch of experience as far as like this thing goes and I am just completely off like that's my, <laughs> how my like I come from a school that is like printer paper white like we in fifth grade we didn't learn ballroom dancing or whatever thing we did line dancing that's where I'm coming from but BJ goes like oh yeah this song this song slaps I love this one and I go I don't know what this is my school was listening to stuff like. Soldier Boy and Mike Jones oh, at the man, time. Honey. I felt like you would love this soundtrack as I was listening to it this time around. I was like, I oh, did. <laughs> it was much better than everything we were listening to in my high school. My high school was very popular with like the ringtone rap, as it were. <laughs> so like that was that's what it was because it was a bunch of white kids listening to what they thought you know black people like to listen to and it's like no 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 no. yeah i know one of the really great musical transitions that they use is it goes into like a dmx song from a waltz um when caitlin mm-hmm. decides that she wants to go learn with the kids in the school 
is like it starts out as yeah because they're at the dance class and then it goes into this like dmx growl and then the rest of his song and she's walking down the stairs <laughs> like it's so perfect ah oh, i love it uh they said that they um really worked hard in the editing to time a lot of the dialogue around songs and stuff like that so the uh-huh. reason that it seems so flawless like oh wow they really just finished this scene right when the song ends was actually on purpose <laughs> could you believe uh, it it's beautiful <laughs> Like and that that really adds to like the credence that the music is and the dancing itself, like the choreography, are also their own character because it's like, oh yeah, no, this is synced up, this is concise and perfect, and it just lends so well to the movement of the film. Yeah, whoever decided to have a music video director direct this movie was they did a good job. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very smart. I love to in playing with like the juxtaposition between the the music and as well as the characters, like when we have, you know, Caitlin joining their class, is that this is also a movie that is not afraid to call out the juxtapositions. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times uh, movies treat them as like the oh, this is the quiet thing. We're just not going to talk about it. Whereas this movie's like, oh, are you here slumming it? Is that what? <laughs> is that what this is? And I was like, yes, call that bitch out. And she's like, no, I just, I, you know, I feel more comfortable here, which is also a very real thing and is also this like underlying message of, you know, how shitty like classism is for everyone. Like obviously way worse for, for others who are, you know, dealing with multiple intersections, but you know, poor poor Caitlin's also got to deal with like the shitty rich white people, and like that sucks too. Oh, yeah. So it's like, and yeah, her mom character is like just so stressful. That especially the scene in her cotillion where like her mom's like mumbling under her breath of like not messing up. Like I, that kind of parent really also distresses me. Like you're not even rooting for your own kid. Come on. Your focus yeah, should not that's... be on them failing. It should be about them having, a, honestly, at this point, a good time. They made it all the way to the cotillion. It's not about this anymore. Let them just mm-hmm. do it. That's a very, uh, I, don't, I don't know how it is, but like I can speak from my experience that that's how my extremely suburban mother is, which is like mm-hmm. the kind of parents who care less about like what their kid's doing or whatever and more so being obsessed with like, oh, is the kid going to embarrass me? How is this going to reflect back on me as a parent and, like, my social standing? Oh, Which I think yeah. that's the whole point of what a cotillion is. I had to have BJ explain to me what a cotillion was because <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, cotillions are some white nonsense. Like, they... it. I hate the idea that it's, like, we're presenting you to the world as, like, a viable candidate moving forward, <laughs> like, as a woman. Like, that's so gross and it's like a half step away from being a purity ball for me mm-hmm. and those yeah. are like my <laughs> my greatest nightmares um yeah cotillions they just rub me the wrong way i hate like the the idea of like i'm a debutante like get the fuck out of here like that's <laughs> creepy and weird and i don't know if just white people were really upset that they couldn't have quinceañeras like i don't know but like <laughs> cotillions are awful and the amount of pressure that's put on people, you know, to have them. I mean, because Caitlin is a ball of nerves for mm-hmm. the entire movie. And it's not because like, oh, I'm in a new situation or, oh, these are, you know, these kids freak me out. Like, that's not what she's nervous about. She's nervous because she's like, 
I'm going to disappoint my entire family if I fuck this up. I mean, she's trembling on that staircase being like, don't, you know, don't mess up. Don't mess up. Oh, my God. And she's just freaking out. And it's be- and it's not even about her own feelings or her own autonomy. It's about her family. And like, that's awful. Like, that's no way for a kid to live. Oh, OK, yeah. but in that instance, can I just talk about how, like, I really love these sly uh, sort of sort of like toys your expectation things, because as she's coming down the stairs, her mom is saying, like, don't mess up. And Caitlin is saying, like, don't freak out. And you think, like, oh, it's her talking to herself, saying, like, okay, don't freak out, don't freak out. Like, basically telling herself to keep calm for her. And it's like, oh, no, she's saying that about her mom because she invited Monster. Mm-hmm. I know. I love that so much. And I love that so much for Caitlin and her character. Like, her arc truly is so... She doesn't really have an arc because she's kind of just awesome the whole time. I really do love her as a character. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching the two of them dance too and I love how qu- something that I think is really beautiful is how quickly that room turns because at first yeah they're like what the fuck <laughs> and then you watch them just kind of accept it which is this very this you know in a weird poetic way the only thing that I can compare it to is a lot of times there are like like queer kids who are like terrified to come out to their parents and then they do and their parents are like, yeah, we love you. It's fine. And it's one of those things where it's like sometimes we do immediately assume the worst about people and sometimes we might get surprised. But also at the same time, like I, the reason it's a conflicting feeling is it's because like I'm a white person and I would be so uncomfortable in that room of people like uh, so uncomfortable the mom is so okay with this because she's like oh i don't care if it's a black guy just as long as my daughter doesn't embarrass me in front of everyone she could care less yeah (laughs) so it's this movie is doing a lot of like a lot of that like expectation playing and and i really appreciate that because i'm also i'm also appreciative of any movie that is willing to showcase like hey i know what you're thinking like, I know how you think this situation's going to go. And then either to subvert that expectation or to give me exactly what I thought was going to happen. Because um, I think too many movies are trying to, like, paint the moral for us. And this one's like, no, we're just going to be real about it. Like, you know, maybe this is going to go bad. Maybe it's not. There are going to be some people in this room that are going to be, like, way worse about this than others. But, you know, here it is. And I think we also see that with, you know, our, our big our big ballroom scene when mm-hmm. we have the competition where there are definitely people that are not fucking okay with what's going on. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the visual representation of like a stuffy monopoly man type going. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a really great oh, way to put many, it. There you go. Many pearls were clutched. Their monocle pops out of their eye. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, so as we wrap things up, uh, are there any are there any final thoughts, any things that we haven't talked about that we'd love to discuss more of? Uh, there's characters in this movie that I wish had more parts, but they don't. And one of them mm-hmm. is the cute chick with the short hair. I love her so much. Yes! I don't even know what her name is. But if there is a character, I, don't I very either. rarely saw myself in characters. But if there was one, it probably would have been her. Because she was just there. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
She has some excellent shoulder dancing is the only way I can describe it. Like anytime she moves, she puts all of her shoulder into everything. And it's just like, yeah, I like that. I like what you're doing. Because I think so many of them were like, let's, you know, hips, waist, hips, waist, chest. And she's like, (laughs) shoulder. And I'm like, yeah, shoulder. I I, kind of like that each one of like our kids have like unique traits to how they dance. Like, some people have a little bit more moves. Some people are more stiff. Um, there's the one kid who way over dances with his hips, who's just like, he has a very happy face. Like, that scene where he's dancing on the subway or, like, oh, the bus or Marcus. whatever. Yeah. Okay, character's yeah. name is Eddie. Actor's name is Marcus, but I can't remember who, of TV sitcom fame, because he's actually a pretty good actor in stuff. But, yes, mm-hmm. he is a But, yeah, super- like, he, everyone does... <laughs> Everyone has like hip moves, but he's just like, no, I am, I am a rubber band man. I am going way <laughs> over the top with my hips. Yeah, he's he's so delightful. I, and yeah, I love his like the smile that he pulls when he starts opening the door for the first time, like after he meets Pierre, and then gets shut down where she's like, sit down, and then he's just like, oh, like <laughs> I I love him. Yeah. But like we also like we get Jenna Dewan. I mean dancer extraordinaire most people i think you know jenna dewan either from dance movies or the fact that she was married to channing tatum and did the magic mike dance on celebrity lip sync battle um (laughs) but like she used to be a backup dancer for janet jackson like bitch can move and she shows it in this movie um, character donju actor elijah kelly that's seaweed in the hairspray movie just three years later yeah I yeah, love for him. real. He's supposed to be Bobby Brown. I want my Bobby Brown biopic, damn it. <laughs> oh my God, he's so good. <laughs> That's incredible. And yeah, you're right though. Like the they're the the characters, I wish that we got a little bit more of them. Because as much as I'm glad that we do get like an Antonio Banderas lead because he's amazing, mm-hmm. um, I think we could have we could have used a little bit more of the kids because they are so just infectious to watch like you you just want to you want to hang out with them you want to dance with them I want to like see their their conversations I want to hear them roast each other I want to hear them like talk about their day because they're interesting people Mm -hmm. but like my favorite scene in this movie aside from um probably just like the the incredible choreography of some of the dance sequences but like my favorite non like specifically like choreographed scene like that is there's just a montage I think it's right after he reveals like, oh, yeah, if you get really good and you practice, you can win this competition. And they all go, oh, and you just see them dancing places like they're dancing in their desk. Mm -hmm. They're dancing at home on the bus. And it's just like you have an outlet now. And it's just really, really good to see because you had like no way of handling like a lot of pent up frustrations and stuff like earlier in the movie. And now you don't and it's really it's really really good like i love seeing that yeah uh it truly is a heartwarming movie at its core like you you want to root for everybody you root for the right people you dislike the right people (laughs) Uh like it it really is perfect (laughs) and it is become a comfort food movie for me like a comfort food movie i definitely will put it on where i'm just like I want to experience something real, but not too real. And I know it's going to end happy. <laughs> and I think that that's, it's great that, you know, you have that outlet and that's kind of what this movie's about. It's like, yeah, you know, there's the, 
the beauty of the dance and all of the lessons that come from it. But ultimately, we all need to have those emotional outlets. And a lot of times it's not something that, you know, we would think of that's going to help us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're taught that like, oh, if you're angry, get that anger out by like smashing a car <laughs> rather than like, hey, you can sing, you can paint, you can oh, make yeah. something with your hands, you can dance, you can, you know, d- perform a monologue and live as someone else for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many ways in which artistic expression can also help with sort of that emotional regulation. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately that's what this movie is, is promoting. And that's what Pierre's program is promoting. And it works because it's still around and it's been just growing bigger and stronger across the country. And, you know, it shows it shows results because it works. And it's so awesome. I don't know. I I, I wish there were more teachers that were willing to believe in that. But unfortunately, I think we're still at a place where we do have a lot of teachers like that shithead that's like, they're just dancing and they need to be doing math. And it's like, mm. it's like did you know that when you have... Actor? <laughs> right. But even still... Who even uses calculus? Even if you're not going to be an actor, like it's been proven that if you can emotion... Like if you have stronger emotional regulation, then you're going to do better in your core classes. Because if you're pissed off the whole time then you're not going to pay attention in class but if you're you know we like that in that montage scene where she's taking a test and she's tapping her feet and she's dancing and moving her legs around she probably did better on that test because Mm -hmm. she's getting her emotional like issues and that nerves about taking that test she's getting it out with her legs so now her brain is free to answer whatever that math question was absolutely and even more base like dancing is math what do you think counting is there's counts i do math constantly in every artistic thing i've ever done i do more math like trying to figure out how to do proportions on an art piece or counting out rows in a knitting project than i ever did in any math class and at least now i enjoy mm-hmm. when i'm doing the math mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's a that's a great point like it's there's so much sort of like cross training for for your classes i mean yeah i was very lucky especially with ballroom yeah, I was very lucky to go to a very pro- progressive private school. So a big part of my education was about how can we mix different subjects together and show how they work in the real world. So I was taking classes that'd be like half history, half science class, and it'd be about a park or something like that. And we'd have to do a report about the history of the park. Then we'd also have to do a science report about like the geographical makeup or something like that. All of these things are interconnected. Mm-hmm. And something like that dance program shows you in real life how these things are actually interconnected. It's math. It's interpersonal. It's science because, hey, now we can think about biology and what the sweat does and how your muscles work. It's also English because now we're learning about a song and we're learning about the history of this dance person. It's also physical because we're literally just exercising. Like the dance, the narrow mindedness of an educator who thinks that they can't use it to teach a thing is mind numbing. You can teach anything and everything. Yeah, and it's there's so many issues I think that stem from what is expected of teachers in like our current system. Oh yeah, the test the whole like pressuring on test scores has made mm-hmm. it like impossible to teach. Yeah, and teachers are basically taught to tell you how to get to answers rather than to actually apply the knowledge. You know, something as simple as like like I I I hey, over the last year I've been doing some writing and it's I've, I got I now get paid to do it every once in a while. It's pretty great. But one thing that I 
really struggle with because I never was good at it in school was that, you know, using a, a classic, you know, standard essay format when you write. And what I was told repeatedly for the entire time I was in school is, this is how you write because that's how they do it in college. And my brain saying like, oh, I'm not going to college, so who gives a shit? I will take the, <laughs> you know, letter grade drop from an A to a B because I didn't format it correctly and I'll get a B plus and it'll be fine. And now I'm having to grapple with that now because it's like, oh, no, what you should have taught me, like how to actually apply the knowledge is, hey, this is how this is like the universal code of how essays are written because it's easier for people to understand. Like this is the standard format, not this is the college format. This is just mm -hmm. how like essays and journalists and like any kind of think piece, all of that are all written in this basic sort of format. And it's just it, it's it's frustrating because telling someone basically like how to cheat to get the answer by just teaching them shortcuts rather than to actually like apply their brain is it's it's not good teaching but it's also not fully the teacher's fault because they need right. to get good test yeah, scores yeah all the funding is is yeah. tied into whether or not they can get you to pass that test so they're teaching you how to pass the test they're not teaching you a subject yeah so yeah it's not it's not totally their fault it's just I yeah, I, as someone who loves school and is a big, huge nerd, I long for the days where education is what I truly imagine it to be. And I hope people can enjoy school like I did, like the big nerd that I was. <laughs> so I really liked going mm -hmm. to school. I also recognize, again, that I was really, really lucky in the school that my parents put me in because they did something right in knowing that I was not designed for classic American public school. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they have the debt <laughs> to prove that they love me. Thanks, <laughs> I admittedly, yeah, I think about that sometimes where in like a weird way, I am so eternally grateful that my parents kept me in public school because so many people that I went to like elementary and junior high with that then like white flighted their way to other schools, they are so like ill-equipped to handle the world and <laughs> also are people that I've, you know, unfriended on Facebook in the last four years for obvious fucking reasons. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting how one, it, it really is about knowing like what is, what is best for your kid? Because I think I would have lost my mind in a public, in a, in a private school setting. And I'm very grateful <laughs> for a public school in, in that regard. I, just, I don't think we had private schools where I was from. I think we had Catholic school, and that was about it. I mean, yeah. that can be a private school. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't. I don't think I had a another option. But then again, I pretty much it, it was all the same because it was you were gonna get like the same kind of you know generic rural-ish Ohio white kids, you know. So. Yeah. The last thing that I want to bring up is that there's a scene that is, to me, just the most beautiful and honestly probably my favorite scene in the whole thing. Actually, there's two. The one is of Lorette when she, um, oh God, this is like so dark. So she gets propositioned by one of her uh, friends. Yeah. <laughs> and she runs away and she's like physically attacked by him. It's very scary. And the editing of that scene is so done so deliciously because it's just like jump cuts and slow motion and fast and back and forth. And it's very disorienting. And then there's just a handheld of her running away and you hear her actual footsteps. Like it's, the editing is so good. And she ends up at the school and she dances too. And it wasn't originally supposed to be Kesara Sara by the family, Sly and the Family Stone. But the editor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. put it together for just one of the random like, put takes he put together as one of the options for the songs 
and the director just loved it so much. And that song is truly so perfect for her and that moment because it, it isn't mm-hmm. a moment of like longing or romantic. It's just a moment of like escape. And that what will mm-hmm. be will be is so poignant, especially it being a sly song because they even bring up, it's not necessarily a song that you would pick. It's not a song that would even, it has no reason to be at the school who would have that CD. And yet it's there mm-hmm. and it's what's playing and it's what she's feeling in that moment. And I think they use it again for the waltz or one of the times that they're practicing, she and Rock are practicing together. And the other scene that I love so much that's so real and has some really delicious editing is um, when right after that, when Rock and Lorette get into their fight and the uh, police get called on them and Rock calls Antonio Banderas' character to pick him up. <laughs> he mm-hmm. pretends like he says that it's his dad, which is the funniest thing. And Antonio Banderas says something like, calls him his son as they're walking away. But as they're doing it, the shot kind of pans to seeing Lorette and her mom get into the cab and it zooms back out. And it looks like it should be Rock's perspective, but instead of being his perspective, it goes even further past them. And then you see Antonio Banderas and Rock together. And it's just this beautiful scene of these this pr- different perspectives. And it's like, who's watching who? And whose perspective is uh-huh. this really in this whole big mm-hmm. misunderstanding that just happened? Yeah, I, Delicious, delicious I editing in this scene. movie. <laughs> That whole section, I think, is so expertly crafted because you're right. Like, that proposition is so dark and so intense when you, you know, put together those things of, like, you know, this is this is a client. And, you know, if this is how they're treating her, then, like, how are they treating mom? And, like, mm-hmm. all these things mm-hmm. are just, like, these worst-case scenarios. And then it just transitions into, you know, que sera, sera, which you know it is the musical equivalent of like it is what it is and like we're just gonna deal with it right now and it just it is what it is and just keep keep it together mm-hmm. and i think that it's perfect and i love that that's the version that's chosen because admittedly if i hear case sarasara my brain goes to heathers yes because that's how heathers <laughs> opens and yeah. it's like no but they're they're taking you know the this different rendition where it just it fits so perfectly and yeah you know the (laughs) the whole like you could have told me that you know you told him i was your dad and he's like they don't care and it's like (laughs) yeah he's right they don't care (laughs) it just makes me love pierre even more just him going with it and bringing him home i truly love pierre so much he's the best i hope the real life pierre is as awesome as antonio banderas made him (laughs) I don't know. I, if, if he's the white guy that I remember, I think he was grooving and dancing during like the end of the movie. So he seems like a fun guy. He did teach <laughs> the kids like the very basics of ballroom. He was the one who taught them. Aw. Yeah. I love that. That's great. <laughs> well, wonderful. I think that uh, I think that takes us out a little bit on on take the lead. So so harmony the the I guess five thousand dollar grand prize question. <laughs> Uh, is that Bryce and Take the Lead are asking you to the prom or I guess the the Grand Ballroom Championship. Uh-huh. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? It's it's a yes. I like I don't even really have to think about it, but like it's definitely a yes. I I wanna watch this again in for one thing I need to pay closer attention to this snappy editing that Bryce keeps talking about. <laughs> Cause like I noticed a little bit, but I was like, yeah, I think that's not a, I think when you watch it on that first time through, you sort of just, you get yeah. the big picture. You're not picking up on oh, like those course. details this, this yet. This is rewatched like seven with the commentary. So. 
<laughs> exactly. So uh, that's something I'm going to have to keep in mind when I watch it again. It's on HBO Max. We have HBO Max. We're mostly using it to watch Craig of the Creek. So there we go. It's free whenever <laughs> I want it. But this is, I, I really love when we get opportunities to watch these movies that I have absolutely no context for or have never heard of. And in a, a, a very similar way, I think I would really like to revisit this in the same way I would like to revisit Ice Princess, which we covered uh, probably about a month and a half, Love two months movie. ago. Mm-hmm. All right. I knew nothing <laughs> about it going in and was absolutely dumbfounded by how much I loved huh. that movie. But there's actually like super duper impressive ice skating routines in there that are just so much fun to watch. And I think I would really like to do that again, just to watch the choreography. Like obviously the story counts a lot too, but like I can really, really appreciate the choreography so much more on a second rewatch because now I, I understand the story. I know where we're going. I kind of, I've got a, I've got a handle on things. Now I can like step back and really appreciate like the craftsmanship that went into the editing and the song choices and the choreography and the dancing and all of the details are just gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna simmer like a, like leaving a good soup in the fridge to like overnight because it's always better on day two. I, th- I think <laughs> that's how I'm gonna feel about this movie on a second rewatch. So oh, yeah. this movie, yeah, no, I'm, I'm super, I'm super well. a fan, <laughs> right? Yeah, this age as well. Okay, obviously. <laughs> so teen movies, obviously, like, they want their music and their fashion and, like, their lingo to be as up-to-date as possible. But all of that aside, this movie is still super-duper relevant. It still holds up super well. So, no, like, this this is definitely a movie that everyone listening, like, go go treat yourself to this. Like, I'm, yeah. I was impressed. I, I probably didn't say as much in this episode as I probably should have, but... Like I'm, I'm. I full admit I'm out of my depth on a lot of the uh, the inner workings of like the the, the things here. So I'm like, no, just t- teach me. Like I'm, I'm here to learn. I do want to give a costume shout out because I forgot to earlier. Uh, costume shout out to the blue homecoming style dress that Jenna Dewan wears uh, it, at the ballroom, and shout out to Lorette wearing bamboo earrings with her name in it for her like high glam look because uh it is like it makes me so happy that this because this movie is not like hey let's change everything about you and now you can fit in with society better blah 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 like none of that bullshit it's like no we're gonna like meld the worlds a little bit so it's like oh you're gonna do this like high glam look for this dance we're letting you keep like you get to keep your earrings and it's Mm -hmm. like fuck yeah i love that oh yeah they've got her name out there all hers (laughs) There's so many shots of them introducing characters with like a name jewelry, like Ramos's belt and Lorette's earrings, and like Sasha has a name tag. Like, there's so many great shots of that that mm-hmm. I noticed this time around too. And also, hilariously, the dead students on uh, the principal's wall are also extras. So sometimes you'll see them walking around, if you notice. Oh God, they're like ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> also, speaking when you were talking about secondhand embarrassment earlier. That scene of secondhand embarrassment for me. And he's like, Are these your honor roll students? She's like, No, oh, they yeah, were they're they... dead. And I was just like, oh. And he's oh, like, God. I'll see myself out. Oh, I'm so sorry to bring up one last thing. I, I had I cackled to myself. This was so mean, but like Lorette and Rock's like, sorry about your brother, sorry about yours was my okay, okay. Like I thought that was so ah. funny. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, I mean, they handled it about the same way where it's like, I'm getting on this train. Sorry, our brothers are dead. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
this movie's amazing. And I really hope that this episode makes people either revisit it or seek it out if they haven't for the first time. Because, yeah, take the lead fucking rules. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a gem. We didn't you. even talk about, like, Tina, which is a whole other character. Oh, I know. <laughs> we didn't. Oh, no. Oh, well. There's a, there's a lot of characters in this movie. There are. <laughs> well, Bryce, thank you so, so much for joining us. And thank you again for, for choosing such an amazing film. Uh, where can listeners find you if you want them to find you on the internet? <laughs> yes, um, my Twitter handle is at uh, broccoli witch, just normal broccoli, normal witch, no weird spellings, no periods or anything like that. I got lucky. And on Instagram, you can see me do my crafty stuff right now. I'm in a knitting craze. So um, that is at broccoli dot gif because i used to be an artist but now i'm a knitter and i refuse to change my instagram (laughs) handle (laughs) fabulous um you can also check out bryce and harmony me acting uh with one another sort of yeah sort of (laughs) they're in the same scene man wow that was recorded separately (laughs) because of uh you know the magic of 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 movie making but the two of them are in a series on Deku, the streaming service Deku, called So Far So Close, which is a series that I wrote a couple episodes on and produced. And Harmony and Bryce star in a couple episodes, uh, including the one that I've written, and it's awesome. So again, that's on Deku. Um, if I you think want to, you can watch it through Prime, can't you? I believe so. Yeah, oh, cool. possibly. Yeah, I believe so. So yeah, give that a give that a look. Um, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. You I think it's really the good, show. unbiasedly. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is good too. I mean, I watched the full thing and I was like, oh my gosh, this is yeah, really I know. Cool. <laughs> I was getting very emotional watching it and watching the other episodes. It really was really charming. The editing is fantastic. The writing is fantastic. I enjoyed even not my own episodes. Ah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, no, there's a, there was a lot of really talented people who who were involved in this. Not not all of them, uh, it, it, not including me. But <laughs> you did great. But I'm not. We, I get yelled at sometimes because I'm too complimentary towards you on the show, and people just want us to get to the movie talk. But no, you're wonderful in it. Hey, they, they, I, we I waited to the end of the episode. <laughs> if people don't like compliments, I'm going to compliment BJ. The first time I ever saw you was at the Rocky Horror callbacks, and I thought you were the coolest person ever. I literally, I like remember it. I was like, that's the coolest person. Oh, they have green hair. I want green hair. And now I have green hair. It's all thanks to you. Oh, Oh. perfect. Green hair squad for life. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at this ends at prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It's my name at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. Because you weren't lucky and you do have to have underscores and things. Here's the thing is like I tried looking up to see like who's the actual Velocitraptor on this site and I can't find them. <laughs> so I'm like, what the fuck? I want to I want to like just be like, man, what if I can just like snipe that? What if no one's used it since like 2011? That'd be tight. <laughs> 
<laughs> we, we also want to give a big shout out to the Sonderbombs who allow us to use their track title for our theme music. They fucking rule. Go listen to Clothbound. Buy it. Support them. They are amazing. I'm, I'm hoping that our Clothbound package comes in the mail sometime soon, but I think it might have gotten shipped to the old address, so it'll be oh no. especially long before it gets here. <laughs> We, we have fun friends that are giving us our mail since the mail system is hurting. Well, right assuming now. that it doesn't get forwarded and then get lost in, like, the hell of crossing the country. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's gosh. true. That's very true. <laughs> You'll get here eventually. Yay. <laughs> well, on that note, friends, we will see you next time. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. 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 Let's review the Foxtrot. Yo, I thought we were gonna tango. Oh, no, no, no. The tango must be earned. You, Mr. Ramos, cannot handle the tango. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> this episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.